everyone. Welcome back to Fabulous. Hi, everybody. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Shannon Payne. And this week, we're so excited to tell it, you about the greatest show on earth and the greatest animal on the planet. And then I'm just going to make everybody cry. So. A little bit. A little bit. I think that this week is a mix of emotions. And we didn't like, we weren't like, let's find a way to make people cry. We were just like, that's a really good story. Oh, it's going to ruin our lives. Yeah. It just kind of snowballed from there. It did. It did. Life tends to do that, unfortunately. It sure does. <laughs> Damn it. But I love them so much. Yes. Have you seen the the video? I don't remember where it used to be. The internet, obviously. But it's like a baby elephant that slides down like a rainforest hill looking thing. Oh, my God. Like it's sledding. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the cutest thing seen. Oh, so, I mean, I feel like after saying The Greatest Show, we find we, I think we know what we're talking about, right? Oh, yeah. P.T. Barnum. <laughs> P.T. Barnum. And then I'm going to bring us down and talk about animals in the circuses and then the transitions into animal sanctuaries. Because a lot of stuff has changed since we were little kids as far as circus animals go. It's true. I mean, over the, over the I don't know, 100 years, a couple, more than 100 it's years. It's been a while. That we've had circuses, um, things have changed, but I think... Even since we were kids, it's changed quite a bit. It has. There just aren't as many animals. There aren't as many. They're still there, which is wild. We'll get into it, but. You know what else I thought of for this episode? Oh, Oh my gosh. Um, You know how it's uh, like, um, how many degrees to Kevin Bacon? Three? Seven? Yeah. When people are like, this, this, and this, and Kevin Bacon. You know that game? I don't know if I do. Oh, it's a whole thing. Introduce me. I forget the number. Maybe it's is it seven, six, to seven degrees. It's a number degrees of Kevin Bacon. Okay. And so they have to be like they're connecting two movies or two movie stars or whatever. Oh, Then you okay. start with one and he was in the movie with this guy who did the thing with this guy who knows this guy who choreographed that. Kevin Bacon. Oh, my God. And so everybody can relate back to Kevin Bacon. It's like a thing. That's crazy. Our podcast is um, Robert Pattinson. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm doing it today, and I'm like, first train, Robert Pattinson. Oh, my God. Again. <laughs> there he is again. Right? He's popping up. He's everywhere. He is. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just keeps occurring to me. Oh, right. There he is. He's back. And we can talk about it at length if we so choose. Mm-hmm. But did you, do you, have you read Water for Elephants, first of all? No. Have you seen the movie? Yes. Why? Why? <laughs> Did Reese Witherspoon make it with her company? And why does she kiss him? Why? Who cast? Who cast that, Shannon? I mean, I don't know. It's fine, but it's also less fine. So I really enjoy Water for Elephants, the book. Mm -hmm. And I cannot picture it as her. And I'm not sure why, to me, that they, they feel like almost different generations of Hollywood. Yeah. And I'm sure by age, they're not that separate. But it feels weird. It feels different. I don't know. Because people who play teenagers in movies are already adults. Right. So they're probably a lot closer in age than I think. Probably. But it just feels like she she started playing someone's parent before Twilight. Yep. I don't even know if that's true. I feel like it might be. It feels accurate. It just felt weird to me. Yeah. It's none of my business. It's none of mine either. But I just, part of me really wants to know who made that decision. I think Seth still thinks I'm really old fashioned about young girls <laughs> dating older men. So if I bring this up with him, we'll be like, it's just like the other thing. Honestly. 
I don't know. I got opinions. I'm sorry. I wouldn't tell them to their face. That's it's none of my business. It's right. none of my business. Exactly. Kiss whoever you want, as long as I think it's okay. I'm okay with it. I think that's the more, like the only stipulation. Mm-hmm. You know how I often say, like, I'm gonna put my mouth on his mouth, or uh-huh. I'll kiss you on the mouth. Yes. On, on the mouth is a common phrase of mine. When I was in my training class last week at work, work, I said that. And I guess I hadn't said it in front of people at work before. (laughs) I shut the house down. I thought it was so funny. And I was like, I didn't even know that was a joke. I've been saying it for so long. Right. I had good shit just in my back pocket. You had it hiding there the whole time. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was pretty silly. I was like, yeah, that's pretty funny. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks. If P.T. Barnum is nothing else, he has a cool name. That is absolutely true. Are you ready? I'm ready. Phineas Taylor Barnum. Phineas. Phineas. There aren't enough Phineases. No, there aren't. I bet you because of Phineas and Ferb, we'll get some. Right? I'm surprised we don't have more at this point because I feel like that was our generation. Phineas and Ferb, people have kids. Or maybe like the the later end of our generation, but still, I think it's there. Especially around here. People have kids like immediately. Oh, yeah. There's got to be some. There's got to be Phineas around here somewhere. In 1819, in Bethel, Connecticut, his dad's name's cool too, Philo Barnum and his second wife, Irene Taylor, had a son and called him Phineas after his maternal grandfather. Aww. Grandpa Phineas was actually a justice of the peace, a legislator, and a lottery schemer who had the admiration and emulation of his grandson. Oh. So a lot of the scheminess of, of Phineas... And I, I was looking it up. I don't know what his people called him. Okay. So I referred to him as Barnum throughout this. Okay. Because, I don't know, Finn. I don't Finn? know. And then we saw that scary movie yesterday. It was so we Finny, can't call and Finny. I was like, no. yeah. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you guys need to go see scary movies with Liz and Taylor. It's ridiculous. It's, I don't mean it. I don't. I don't mean it. <laughs> it was so. It was so funny. I'm not gonna say it if you don't want me to. But it's it was okay. the best scary movie. It was the best scary movie experience I have ever had in my life. I can't help it. I'm it, never it, ready. It was so. Beautifully brilliant. It was a tricky show. It was. Because it's, it looked like a regular movie for a long time. For a really, really long time. And then all of a sudden it's scary. Yeah. And it was just, I'm, I mean, I won't say anything about the movie. I don't think it's really important. Just know yeah. that there was a pretty good jump scare in the yeah. movie. I have never heard such a full-fledged <laughs> scream in the theater. I jumped so high and scared that immediately I'm just laughing because it's amazing. I think just, I think the <laughs> Full range of emotion right there was the most beautiful I was thing feeling a lot to of ever happen. It was scary. My heart was pounding. <laughs> and I look at Seth and I was like, all these people out there. <laughs> to be fair, nobody was upset about it. <laughs> there were little, literal little children in the back who giggled through the movie. And I was like, who are these parents? What is this? This is scary. <laughs> yes. I require peer pressure to see a scary movie. Do we peer and pressure you into this and one? I, I need it because I always enjoy it at the end. Mm-hmm. But as the previews come on, it's like when I get to the top of a roller, sco- roller mm-hmm. coaster and I'm like, is there a way that we could turn this off and take me off right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we should just maybe we should just sneak into that Buzz Lightyear movie. Maybe that's the one we go to. Because <laughs> I'm not sure I can do this. And it wasn't even the creepiest. Like there are creepy, scary moments in that oh, yeah. movie. And um, it wasn't one. (laughs) But then it it happens a second time with the one in the corner. Actually, it happens a few, but that was the first one. I did a good job at those those jump scares. You did. I'm so proud of you. I was like, so proud of you. He's going to see one. He's going to see one. He's going to see it. And I'm going to be cool. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
Oh my God, I'm stealing myself for this. It was the single best Ooh. fucking moment of my life in a theater. It was so good. And you have to come with me to every single scary movie I ever They're go to again. They're too scary at the theater. <laughs> They're not as scary at your house when you can true. leave the bathroom light on. It's so it's not true. too dark. I will be honest. My heart was pounding the whole time. And usually, like, I don't get that scared at movies. Yeah. My heart was pounding the whole time. But he, I think it was mainly Ethan Hawke's character. He had big Joker vibes. He had big Joker, but like Even Joker. I haven't seen that yet. In a like creepy, yeah, uh, child killer way. I was. So what was the movie called? It was called Black Phone. Black Phone. Okay, so now you guys know what we're talking about. That might help you out a little bit. I was afraid that a bad part that was going to be traumatic that's what i was, was scared gonna of happen. yes i was terrified the whole time and i the whole time i was like i could have read i could have read it would have given me a warning if that right? was gonna happen yeah. i could have read it and i always say to myself you should read it before so you don't see, just so you're ready just so you know and if you're ready maybe you won't have to talk about it in therapy exactly <laughs> so i was more scared of that and i think that it was distracting me so much that the jumpy things could really they I snuck think that up was for me too which the way that they did the movie did a good job in making you feel uncomfortable, but not to a point where it was traumatically uncomfortable. It wasn't exploitative. No. So we were all afraid of uh, it's a it's a, the it revolves around these children who are being abducted. And so we're all afraid that an assault will occur. But we don't have to go so far into like playing it out in front of us. Yes. And you can tell from the other things that happen. Like, you get the picture anyways. You understand. So you don't have to experience it. Which I appreciate that they did you it You can just way. empathize with it yes. separately. And yes. I just thank you for that. Thank you. I know and I respect when people make the choice to include it responsibly. Right. But I just don't need it all the time. No. It's so fucking heavy. Mm -hmm. And it's it's difficult. Yeah. I also think they cast that main boy, Finn, so, so perfectly. So perfectly. And his sister. He Little sisters, first of all, are the only reason this planet is still running. That's true. Who is planning all of your shit? Who is organized? Who helps your dad buy the groceries for the only meal he's required to cook all year Christmas morning? Yes. Just sisters. Yes. I'm sure brothers do other shit. I don't know. I'm sure. Whether or not it got done, don't know that either. No. For sure, sisters do. Absolutely. I loved her a lot. He was like such an average boy. Yeah. He was an every boy. Absolutely. And he was still captivating and lovely. But I could imagine him as a person, as yes. a real person. Yes. And I, I thought like that was really genius. It was absolutely brilliant. It was a good movie. I was scared of it. Yeah. <laughs> I am so embarrassed. It was great. I loved it. Now, do you remember when I was telling you about Friday the 13th and how I like had a sore throat the next day from yeah, the jump scare? It makes perfect the sense end? now. Mm -hmm. Scared the shit out of Absolutely. me. Absolutely. It was over. Credits were coming up. <laughs> I was safe. <laughs> it was, I was, it's betrayal, honestly. That's fair. Loss of trust. Yeah. Hurt my feelings. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not sure if they called him Phineas. That's fair. <laughs> It's not really up to me. And to be for real, I'm not sure as a kid he had friends. Okay. He was either really charming or weird. Yeah. I think it has to be one or the other. It has to be. He doesn't look, in case you're like, I'm going to picture him in my mind. He doesn't look anything like Hugh Jackman. Well, that's unfortunate. He's a little pop belly. He's quite tall, 6'2". Okay. 
semi-bald. Mm-hmm. They describe him with a bulbous nose. Mm. He just has the kind of nose that's big when you're a grandpa. Okay. Yep. And just um, a little more light, light coloring. I think he has blue eyes. Okay. But he, he has white hair pretty young. That makes sense. I get that. I feel that. So he looks like the, they call him a barker. The people up in the front of the carnival. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Step right up. I might be manipulative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It looks like that. Okay. That's him. That's B.T. Barnum. When he was 15, Barnum's father died. And Barnum found ways to support his widowed mother and his five sisters and brothers. So okay. he had a pretty big family. And he becomes quite entrepreneurial, super duper young. Okay. So he owned a general store, a book auctioning company. He got involved in real estate speculation. There was some shit involving a statewide lottery network. Oh, my goodness. And then the lottery laws change in New York and that falls apart. So he has a lot of ventures okay. going on. In 1829, Barnum married Charity Hallett. She Oh, he was 19 and she was 21. Okay. And they would go on to have four daughters together. Oh. Um, in the same year, he started a weekly newspaper called The Herald of Freedom. And they made a, and that made, that's when he makes a pretty strong first showing in his litigious journey. Oh, okay. Um, he writes some editorials that say bad things against some church leaders that led to libel suits and a two-month prison sentence. Oh, my God. <laughs> then he emerges from prison, a hero to his liberal-minded fellows, and remains politically active and vocal his whole life. Okay. In 1834, he moved to New York City. And a year later, quote, oh, I, there, I read a great Smithsonian um, magazine article from the smithsonian.com smithsonianmag.com and if you if you want to read it go into our show notes it's really good but that's where this comes from perfect so barnum took his first real dip into showmanship at age 25 when he purchased the right to rent an aged black woman by the name of joyce heth whom an acquaintance was trumpeting around philadelphia as the 161 year old former nurse of george washington Oh, Joyce Heth was a blind and almost completely paralyzed, formerly enslaved woman. I guess not formerly. Yeah, she still is. Yeah. Um, Slavery was illegal in New York at the time. So he leased Heth for one year for a thousand dollars, 500 of which he had to borrow to complete the deal. He's very much we'll talk more about the more sinister portion of this. But on the financial side, he's very much a. I'll figure out how to get the money kind of person. Okay. He says, yep, let's do it. That's a great idea. I'm so brilliant. I'll figure out how to get we'll the circle money. circle back. And he, in general, does. Okay. So that's normal for him. Barnum would work Heth for 10 to 12 hours a day. Oh, jeez. Until her death in February of 1836 at no more than 80 years old. After she passed, Barnum showed a live autopsy of her body in a New York saloon. And 1,500 spectators were charged 50 cents each to watch. That. Just, if you did not donate your body to a cause like that, that just feels so wildly disrespectful. It's awful. That's horrendous. From that same Smithsonian mag, I want to read this quote. As Benjamin Reese, professor and chair of English at Emory University and author of The Showman and the Slave of Barnum explains in an interview with with Smithsonian.com, Barnum's legacy has become a sort of cultural touchstone. The story of his life that we chose to tell is in part the story that we choose to tell about American culture, he says. We can choose to erase things or dance around touchy subjects and present a kind of feel-good story 
or we can use it as an opportunity to look at very complex and troubling histories that our culture has been grappling with for centuries. Mm -hmm. Barnum was making money, but not everybody was down with this style of exhibition. Yep. I think a lot of times with the past, we're like, oh, people were just gross. Right. Some people were gross. Some people were. (laughs) Not everybody, though. Exactly. So this is from that article quoting something they found in a newspaper um, contemporarily with a... with when this was occurring, with okay. Joyce Hess. The more old-fashioned New England press bristled at the display. As the newspaper The Courier wrote cuttingly, those who imagine they can contemplate with delight a breathing skeleton sub- subjected to the same sort of discipline that is sometimes exercised in a menagerie to induce the inferior animals to play unnatural pranks for the amusement of barren spectators will find food to their taste by visiting Joyce Hess. So they were grossed out. Yeah. They were not fine with it. No. But a lot of people were. And at the time, they were very interested in seeing things that they'd never seen before. Right. So the 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 freak show aspect of things yeah. was incredibly popular, especially with people who had less money because they could afford to go to those kinds of entertainments. Right. So you can't afford to go to the ballet. Right. You can't go to the opera. You can't go do these other things. But you can come see yeah, this. you can find a quarter. Yeah, easily. Maybe. And um, rich people think you're gross for doing poor people things, but they also don't want you to be rich people. Right. So it's it's also more complicated than how uncool it was for him to exploit this woman. Yeah. It's a lot of things. It's right. Very, it's a very classist, racist uh, spaghetti. Absolutely. It's a lot. In 1841, Barnum purchased Scudder's American Museum on the corner of Broadway and Ann Street in New York City and renamed it Barnum's American Museum. 4,000 plus patrons descended daily to pursue Barnum's interesting curiosities for 25 cents each. Some were real, like exotic animals or other imported specimens. Some were hoaxes, like the Fiji mermaid, which was a preserved monkey head and fish tail that were sewn together. There were also living curiosities, and these were uh, very bad. Like, Miss Heth level bad. Yeah. Barnum was big on highlighting the otherness of people. He also exhibited two, is it El Salvadoranian or El Salvadorian? I think it's El Salvadorian. El Salvadorian children, who he called Aztec, and promoted as the Siamese twins Chang and Ang. So he's combining a lot of things Absolutely. (laughs) Spaghetti again. Ridiculous. Chang and Aang were connected to each other by a ligament below their breastbones. They're a very famous set of conjoined twins. If you've seen, ever seen pictures of conjoined twins on, uh, in a history channel thing or an internet Mm -hmm. thing, you've likely seen these brothers. Okay. Um, Barnum's most profitable exhibit at that time was a gentleman who performed under the name of General Tom Thumb. His name was Charles Stratton. He was 25 inches tall and attracted 20 million ticket purchasers to the museum. 25 inches is just a smidge over two feet. That's that's quite small for even a small person. That is. Um, He and Barnum embarked on a tour abroad where they met and performed for Queen Victoria. Oh, Now, there are two people who play Tom Thumb for Barnum um, at different eras. Okay. One of them, but the internet wasn't 100% sure, um, did impressions of famous people. Okay. But I don't know which one. That's fair. (laughs) This one or the one later. One of them. We'll see. 
Other features at Barnum's Museum included a lighthouse lamp, pretty flags along the roof's edge, giant paintings of animals, a strolling garden on the roof with hot air balloon rides daily. Oh. Which I would actually be really into. I'd be be for that. That part can stay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And other live acts and curiosities, which included albinos, giants, little people, fat boys, jugglers, magicians, exotic women, models of cities and famous battles, and a menagerie of animals. So it's Havsies. Mm-hmm. Cool scale models, a zoo, and then other things. Mm-hmm. Ma- magicians, yeah. So it's it's a it's a mixed bag. It is. It's a mixed <laughs> bag. It's a mixed bag. <laughs> Between 1842, when he took over the American Museum, and 1868, when he gave it up after fires twice had all but destroyed it. Barnum's gaudy showmanship enticed 82 million visitors, among them Henry and William James, Charles Dickens, and Edward VII, (laughs) (laughs) who was then the Prince of Wales, into its halls and other enterprises. That's from an article on Britannica.com. Okay. Lots of people love the style of Barnum's exhibitions. When Barnum was ready to class up the joint to appease his new fancy sensibilities, as happens when people accumulate dollars, Mm -hmm. um, he went all in on Jenny Lind. Okay. And didn't we all? Yeah. She's such a babe. Absolutely. Jenny Lind, Mm -hmm. the Swedish nightingale, came to Barnum's attention while he was on his Euro tour with Tom Thumb. Before he had ever heard her sing... I can't believe that's true. (laughs) Before he'd ever heard her sing, he made her an offer to perform in the U.S. for $1,000 a night for 150 nights, all expenses paid. Oh, wow. Lind was like, deal, but show me the money. Absolutely. Uh, She demanded to be paid in advance, and she used the money to fund her philanthropic and charitable causes. So she, um, which were primarily funding schools so poor children could attend. Yeah. Which is way, way cool. Absolutely. And a lot of these things, it's like, girl's a money grabber. She gave most by a large margin of her money to charities to help support other people. That's pretty incredible. Kind of okay with it. Yeah. Which is pretty neat. Barnum borrowed money against his mansion and museum to raise the money. And when he was still short, he like soft conned (laughs) a Philadelphia minister into lending him the last $6,000, saying that Lynn's good influence on American morals would be worth it. Okay. And maybe that she was pretty. I don't know if he added that in. Probably. The contract gave Lynn the ability to bail after 60 or 100 shows if she paid Barnum $50,000. Okay. So we're going to do some quick math that I did in advance because we all can't do what I'm talking. (laughs) So $1,000 for 150 shows, that's $150,000. That (laughs) one's not that hard. So put that in the back of your mind. We'll talk more about the money in a minute. When that's how much he had to give her up front. Okay. When Lind arrives in the U.S., she sees that Barnum has been busy. So he's been advertising and doing other kind of preparations. And it meant that when Lynn arrived, she arrived to these massive crowds that were willing to purchase merch about her like they were seeing the Spice Girls. Oh, wow. Like they were so excited. There were like 40,000 people when their ship landed. Oh, my God. That's so many people. That is. He was big time into the advertising we could actually use his help (laughs) please (laughs) her eyeballs immediately turned to dollar signs and she did a quick uh to for a redo okay she's like peace out for one sec that's a lot of money 
(laughs) (laughs) Under the new terms, Lind got the previously delivered sum, plus she would get the remainder of each concert's profits after Barnum's $5,500 management fee. Wow. It's a lot. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So much money. Tickets were in such high demand that Barnum sold some at auction. Oh, my God. And she did not love this. She didn't. She thought it was unfair that they were getting so and so, so expensive. Yeah. So she required him to have a certain amount that were for shelf for sale for a more inexpensive price. Oh, that's good. So that more people could come see the show. Yeah. In 1851, after touring through the southern states and Cuba, Jenny was just over Barnum's constant advertising and bigness yeah (laughs) he's a lot (laughs) oh for sure um so she wanted out and they parted ways uh, decently Mm -hmm. it was okay and she continued to tour the u.s for almost a year managing the tour without barnum's assistance for the 93 american shows that lind performed for barnum she was paid three hundred and fifty thousand dollars and barnum netted at least five hundred thousand dollars oh wow which is equivalent to $36,286,000 $36,286,000 in Yeah. And it's, it, inflation has changed a lot in That's the last true. several months. <laughs> yeah. So it's more now. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it was a great deal of cash. Absolutely. Um, Barnum completed his autobiography in 1854. He just goes home to his museum after this and is doing his regular job. Mm-hmm. He writes this autobiography, <laughs> which sold more than a million copies. According to him, we're not over the course of numerous revisions. Mark Twain loved the book. Mark Twain goes to the museum. He talks about him a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's like genuinely they got along or if Mark Twain is making fun of him the whole time. Because, you know, Mark Twain. Oh, yeah. He's a sassy little bitch. Absolutely. So he could it could be tongue in cheek up and down. I could see it. That makes perfect sense. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. We'll have to ask him when we see him. Yeah. We'll check in. Um, so Mark Twain loved the book, but the British examiner thought it trashy and <laughs> offensive. <laughs> when you say it. Um, and they wrote that it inspired, quote, nothing but sensations of disgust oh and sincere pity for the wretched man who compiled it. That wasn't as bad as it usually is. No, that could have been worse. So the British were not down with the sickness as it were okay they're not fans (laughs) trashy and offensive and offensive says you and my mom Mm -hmm. uh in the 1850s barnum invests tons of dollars into the a company that's working to develop east bridgeport connecticut okay i didn't look up how close that is to bethel but i'm assuming it's near where you grew up that makes sense or else why would he care right other than general cares yeah when they when the company goes bankrupt, Barnum loses all of those dollars and literally no one is embarrassed to say how they feel about it. Okay. <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson, or as I casually referred to him, Uncle Ralph, mm-hmm. said that Barnum's losses showed the gods visible again, which wasn't very nice, but was also maybe too nice. And that, <laughs> right? <laughs> It, it is Did right it feel there. Who's mm, yes. to say? I'm not a judge That's on purpose. True. Absolutely. So <laughs> a lot of people were like, isn't this what he deserves? Like all up in the papers. Uh-huh. It was pretty humiliating for him. That, yeah, a, absolutely. It was a hard time, but uh, uh, maybe a champagne hard time because it turns out okay. Oh, okay. In, um, so Tom Thumb saves the day. 
First of Tom course. Thumb, not the second one. Okay. First Tom Thumb set, goes on another European tour with Barnum. Mm-hmm. And the profits from that combined with those from Barnum's tour as a temperance lecturer, barf. Oh. Like don't drink alcohol for, oh. t- for good times. Um, they pull Barnum's booty from the fire. And by 1860, he's back in a new mansion and the owner of his museum again. Okay. So um, it's just... God grant me the blessings of a mediocre ass white man. Right? <laughs> My life would be so good. Sure, he's charismatic. Sure. Whatever. I could be charismatic. It seems like his life is going decently well for a garbage person. Right? <laughs> this is not fair. I'm not liking it. No. America's first aquarium is built in Barnum's Museum. Oh. It said Americas, and I don't know if that means the Americas or United States America. It could go either way. Yeah. Um, And he has an extensive creepy wax people collection, which is very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's cool, but those creep me out. It's pretty gross. Chang and Ang come out of retirement in the late 1860s to earn money to send all of their babies to college. It says they have numerous children. They are still connected. Uh I would like to know some stories. I am sure the other one just kind of has to put on a mask, put on some some earphones, (laughs) and just... I there's got to be an agreement where you just say you're closing your eyes and you're going to pretend like whatever's happening is not happening. And you know what? If you live that way, like that's kind of all you have. Like you just have to sit here and be like, I'm plugging my ears. I'll maybe sing a song while you guys are going. So I can't hear. It's obviously their partners knew what they were getting into. They were together when they met. They, They are stuck. Yeah. So they saw it coming. They knew. There was no, there was no question about what the scenario was going to be. And you bring it forth, it's less weird, right? Yeah. We're, just, we're all making the same weird sounds now. That's fair. And honestly, mind your business. Absolutely. You should be focusing on what you're doing anyway. Exactly. If you're not, this is a worse time for all three of us. Exactly. Get involved. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they had lots of kids. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> In 1860, Barnum introduced Zip. Oh. Zip was an African-American man whose actual name was William Henry Johnson. Okay. He was billed as, I'm really sorry, This these are quotes. I These are not things I said. A creature found in the wilds of Africa, supposed to be a mixture of the wild native African and the orangutan. Orangutan? I never say that properly. Doesn't matter. A kind of mon- man monkey is what they said. Oh, man. William had a smaller than normal head for his size with a heavy jaw and a tapering cranium similar to a person with microcephaly. Mm -hmm. And his parents had consented to allow him to be displayed by other showmen for money. But when he worked for Barnum, because he's big, he's doing bigness, Barnum is always, um, they dressed him in a furry suit and styled his hair into a small point to accentuate his tapered head shape. And called him Zip the Pinhead. Oh. The, uh, what is it? His character's backstory was that he was found among a tribe of missing links in Africa who subsisted on raw meat, fruit, and nuts. But he was learning to be more civilized and to eat things like cake. William's best friend. This is better. It gets better. Okay, good. William's BFF, Captain O.K. White. I don't know if that's his real name. Was his manager. Okay. So he always looked out for him. Like he got him work and helped him to be able to perform and made sure that he was still taken care of. Yeah. There were um, one site mentioned that he was also like a little person. 
Mm -hmm. but I'm not 100% sure. Okay, that's fair. So, but if he is, I just kind of wanted to give credit to that also. Absolutely. So, okay, White, Captain White is always looking out for him, which is great. They work together for always. Oh, good. And um, in 1926, he caught bronchitis after, no joke, he rescued a little girl from drowning in the ocean near Coney Island. So he performed, he gave up traveling and touring to perform at Coney Island. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, he was performing in a stage show, a stage play. But while he was at Coney Island, um, he heard this little girl yelling, help, help. And he swam out and saved her life. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, he insisted on working instead of fully recovering. And after completing his engagement in the stage play, Sonny, he went home to New Jersey where he was cared for by his doctor, his sister and his best friend until he passed away. William Henry Johnson performed for 67 years and is estimated to have entertained more than 100 million people during his life. That's incredible. That's that's a massive effect on the world. Right. It's very cool. And he seems to have had people who loved him and cared for him. And I like that better than a person who is owned by a circus. Exactly. Um, it just seems like a much better way to go. It does. I don't have a handle on current performer culture in that area. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't say if the process has developed one way or the other. I don't see them traveling through town. Right. I saw, well, you saw it at the mall when we went to the movies, the... The ride carnival. It's just yeah. a bunch. And the whole time we were like, those metal rides are going to burn people's asses. That's what we kept saying, too. Do you see they're like um, teacups that were dragons? Yep. I was like, go ahead and get one of those dragons, Seth. Yeah. <laughs> see how it makes you feel. And he was like, no. No. It's so hot. It's too much. It's a, it's a, it needs a shade. It needs a shade or two. It needs more shade than a hand. Twas toasty. So he had a pretty fulfilling life and then was a hero and had people who loved him. And I just wanted us to know that. I think that's important. In 1862, Giantess Anna Swan and Commodore Nutt, a new Tom Thumb, um, were brought to the museum by Barnum. Barnum also adds pro-union exhibits, union as in Civil War Union. Okay. um, Lectures and dramas to the attractions at the museum. He does a handy bit of pro-union work, enough to inspire Confederate sympathizers to, like, light his shit up. And in 1864, they set fire to Barnum's American Museum. A year later, in 1865, the museum catches fire again from an unknown cause, and it burns to the ground. Oh, Wow. Barnum sets up the museum again in another New York location, but that location also burns down in 1868. After the second loss, Barnum retired from the museum business. In 1865, Barnum served two terms in the Connecticut legislature. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. That's a, um, that's a whole different road to go to. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, but ac- if you think about it, he's just such a whore for attention. True. But it's so not I that guess different. it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. When he does that, people see that he's grown up and may have some new, less shitty opinions. In one of his speeches, he says, a human soul that God has created and Christ died for is not to be trifled with. So here is um, another larger quote from that Smithsonian Mag article. Okay. Which is um, quoting some researchers who have studied his life and then also his effect on racism in the United States. Mm -hmm. So it's some very, um, very well-researched, educated shit. And I want you to hear what they said. They're smart. I'm for it. Okay. 
During his successful run for the Connecticut General Assembly in 1865, something changed, however. Suddenly, Cook writes, Barnum began to express a novel sympathy and regret about the subjugation of African Americans, or at least to approach civil rights matters at the end of the Civil War with a new, somewhat softer version of racial paternalism. During a failed run for Congress, he even confessed during a campaign speech that while living in the South, he had owned slaves himself, actions he since regretted. I did more, he said. I whipped my slaves. I ought to have been whipped a thousand times for this myself, but by then I was a Democrat, one of those nondescript Democrats who are Northern men with Southern principles. Just a quick reminder, that's when... The, the balance of the, the beliefs of the parties were a little, a little switched flipped. before yeah. the Civil War. Um, more liberal people were Republicans. Yeah. To go on, he says, it's a powerful speech, but how much of his remorse was spin is hard to say. With Barnum, you never know if that's part of the act or the contrition was genuine, says Reese. People change, and it's possible he really did feel this, although throughout his career as a showman, there were many episodes of exhibiting non-white people in degrading ways. With Heth, at least, as Reese says, he clearly viewed her as an opportunity and a piece of property at the beginning, something he bragged about constantly early in his career. But after he gained growing respectability following the Civil War, the story he so proudly boasted about changed. Mm -hmm. That's because when you break it down, as Reese says, he owned this woman, worked her for 10 to 12 hours a day near the end of her life, worked her to death and then exploited her after death. This history becomes suddenly an unsavory chapter for Barnum. And so, Reese says, there's a shift in how he relays the story. He observes that his narration gets shorter and shorter, more and more apologetic to the end. Barnum's later retelling rewrites history, as Reese says. It makes it seem like he didn't quite know what he was doing. And this was just a little blip on his road to greatness. In fact, this was the thing that started his career. I just thought that the, the brilliance of that. And right. there's a critical paper that is mentioned in conjunction with this article about the effect that Barnum specifically and his rhetoric and show tactics had mm -hmm. on the way that racism progressed in the United States. That is um, poignant reading. Okay. And really important. And I think that the impact that this singular man had is almost quantifiable. And that sucks. Yeah. It makes me want to never say anything out loud again. Right. It's, it's very, very harmful. Absolutely. For a long ass time. Yeah. It's really, really rough. Most of the people in his shows are people of color, are not white. Okay. No matter what it is that they're showing off for being weird. I think the, the Tom Thumbs look white. I'm not positive about Anna the Giantess. I didn't look okay. at a picture of her, but a lot of people are not. Right. And I mean, even if you don't say on your signs, that means something. To it does. It's it's even if it's subtly, subtly quote there, it's there. Mm -hmm. White They're, people buy the tickets to see people of color. Yes. And that's that's real. That's solid. Yeah. In 1870, P.T. Barnum ran away to join the circus. Oh. <laughs> His name's super associated with the greatest show on earth, circuses, but he actually doesn't get involved in circuses until after he's 60 years old. Okay. So it's quite a bit later in his life. He starts P.T. Barnum's Grand Traveling Museum, Menagerie, Caravan, and Hypo Hypodrome <laughs> in Wisconsin with William Cameron Coop. Okay. It's spelled like coup. 
So I'm not sure how he pronounced it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm d- yeah. I don't know. P.T. Barnum's Traveling World's Fair. Oh, here's a bunch of different names for it. Okay. That's, that's what this weird list is. Beautiful. P.T. Barnum's Traveling World's Fair. Great Roman Hippodrome and Greatest Show on Earth. And <laughs> that's all one name. What? Yeah, here's another one. P.T. Barnum's Greatest Show on Earth and the Great London Circus, Sanger's Royal British Menagerie, and the Grand International Allied Shows United. Did that even fit on a flyer? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that takes up the whole thing. I think you have to pay for every letter, too. <laughs> I think so. It's intense. He needs wow. to chill. After 1881, he merges with James Bailey and James L. Hutchinson, and they soon shorten the name to Barnum and Bailey's. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so short and probably also a cocktail. Probably. I'm going to look that up later. I think we're going to have to. A hip, hippodrome. Hippodrome. Hip, hippod, hippodrome. I don't actually know how to say it right. I'm so glad it's not just me. I listened to it. I forget, though. Mm-hmm. Um, is a theater. Just ah, a place where people okay. perform. In ancient Greece or Rome, it was a course for chariots and horse races. Oh. But it's a fancy word, so obviously... Phineas is going to use it. Obviously. It was the first three-ring circus. Oh. And its primary attraction was Jumbo the elephant, who was six tons. Oh, my God. That's a big girl. That is a big... Or boy. Whichever. (laughs) It's a big elephant. (laughs) Yeah. In 1873, Charity Barnum, his wife, died. They'd been married for 44 years. The next year, Barnum married Nancy Fish, who was the daughter of a British admirer. <laughs> he was 64 and she was 24. Oh. Yeah. There's some really, like, Harrison Ford is 64. Yes, please. Absolutely. Right. Um, my neighbor's dad is 64. Pass. Mm, no. Nah. You know. Yeah. It's just, it's. Uh, Bull his nose. <laughs> in 1875, he became the mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut, that city that he helped build but didn't have any more money in the end. Yeah. And while he was doing that, he improved the water supply, was able to get gas lighting for their streets, and enforced all the liquor and prostitution laws like a real bad time. Aww. How can you have a circus and not want people to drink and have fun? Right? Weird craziness. Also, the world was just dangerous, as I say often. <laughs> it's true. So, um, he was the first president of the Bridgeport Hospital, which he helped found in 1878. Through fires, train accidents, and a temporary breakup with Bailey, the show goes on. Barnum's one of the first circuses to travel on a train and probably the first circus owner to have a train of his very own. Oh, my goodness. And there weren't roads everywhere yet. Right. So that trains makes perfect make sense. total sense. Yeah. And they owned their own train. Huh. Which was pretty cool. Yeah. So the circus like lived on the train house now. Yeah. You're traveling on other people's trains, not a train house. No. So if you want to be home and not a guest, get your own train. Get your own train. Makes total sense. <laughs> <laughs> In 1888, the band gets back together and they open Barnum and Bailey's greatest show on earth. Later, the Barnum and Bailey Circus, which toured the world. Wow. Yeah. When Barnum was 81, he got sick, and he requested a New York newspaper to print his obituary early so he could enjoy it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like a move. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's serious. Uh, the Shakespeare of advertising, which is what they called him, uh, died two weeks later. Of Barnum's four daughters, one died in childhood. Another was dropped from his will for committing adultery. Oops. Which feels douchey because in the movie, he kissed Jenny Jenny Lind. Lind. 
But I don't know if that really happened. <laughs> that, that's fair. Was that it's a just dramatization? In the movie. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Disappointed because he had no male heir like a dick, Barnum mm. left a sizable bequest to a grandson on the condition that he agreed to use Barnum as part of his name. Mm. Lastly, here's a quote from P.T. Barnum. This is a trading world, he wrote, and men, women, and children who cannot live on gravity alone need something to satisfy their gayer, lighter moods and hours. And he who ministers to this want is in a business established by the author of our nature. In essence, <laughs> he's saying... It's not that big of a deal that I made money off of people who look different because you wanted to look. Right. And mm. that sucks for me and to you. That's true. <laughs> it does. Because people paid. Yeah. I mean, they came and they did. Yeah. So is he that big of a dick? Is he that different from the rest of us? Because we mm. gave him our money to go see. Right. It's very interesting. The oft attributed to him, quote, there's a sucker born every minute. Mm. There's no proof that he really said that. Okay. But maybe he did. We don't know it for sure. It wouldn't surprise it's me. It's not in one of his, it's not in one of the many reiterations of his biography, which he edited several times and then eventually allowed to be public domain so people could print it and sell it wherever they wanted because oh. he would rather have people know about him than make more than money. make more money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Huh. That's P.T. Barnum. That's P.T. Barnum. Greatest show on earth. A thing I should look up. um, Do you remember? So our Utah license plates, I don't know if they still do, but at one point said greatest snow on earth. They used to. I don't know if they still do now. We probably can't. At some point. And I want to do some, I want to see what I can dig up on that. Maybe some Salt Lake Tribune stuff to tell me how that went down. I'm curious now. Because <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Huh? Right? I'm like, that sounds a lot like a show, you guys. Sure they're like, does. nope, snow for sure. It's snow, you guys. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any elephants. It's a huge bummer, actually. It is a bummer. I mean, I'm glad we don't because this is not a good place for them. But but if, if elephants could live anywhere. I wish then, it could then I, be I would hope they'd be everywhere. Yeah. That would be pretty great. Yeah. We saw that preview for the Crazy Lion movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I immediately turned to Seth and I was like, that's not accurate because there's no possible way a lion could be a bad guy like that. Lions are majestic, beautiful creatures. That's true. Well, unless he was Scar. Even Scar wouldn't fuck with people. He was I guess a, that's true. He was a dick, not a psycho. Well, he's a little bit of a murderer. He's a little bit of a murderer. Murderer! murderer. Yeah, he says that. Yeah, he does. That. Yeah, he says that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Well, it I ruined made it. Me sad. I ruined it. <laughs> And then at some point, it looks like he straight up gets in a fist fight. That whole thing, the entire trailer was just the most wild ride What's I have ever been on. happening? I didn't know. He didn't punch a lion like, in the face. You know we're going to have to watch it, right? The face is mostly teeth. That's true. That's dumb as hell. That was the stupidest move I've ever seen. I don't remember what it's called. I'm keeping an eye out for it. We're watching that shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's his hot face's name? Um, oh, you know, is it Heimdall? Heimdall? Oh, yeah. What's his name in real life? <laughs> Why are we so bad at names? Honestly, <laughs> like he's so pretty. You guys get it. You, you can know. picture him in your mm-hmm. mind. You know yeah. what I'm talking about. He punched a lion in the face. <laughs> he sure did. Hope it works out well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. 
Probably going to wait till I can stream it, though. It's not worth $13. Absolutely not. That's one that we get popcorn, bring it home, watch it on the couch. 100%. The way that I scared that cashier when I was like, if there's no fucking butter this time, (laughs) I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. I'm leaving. (laughs) This is not okay. I saw the dinosaur movie with no butter on my popcorn. That's not okay. That was a big sacrifice I made for America. 100%. (sighs) It was really hard. (sighs) Okay, do you want to take a uh, money break? Let's take a money break. Uh, Listen to a commercial. Send us three pennies. Love you. Bye. Are you guys ready? So I am going to read something that I wrote because I think this is important before we really get in. So I think we really need to come into this portion of the episode with a level of preparation. As I was researching this week, I basically bawled several times. And writing it, I fought tears because I wrote part of it while I was on break at work and it was just a mess. Mistreatment and cruelty towards animals is a horrendous topic, but I think it's important that we talk about mistakes and problems from past and present so we can better address them and do better moving forward. So for those of our friends who this may not be a topic that you want to hear about, I want to warn you up front, I'm not going to be wildly graphic, but this is a wildly uncomfortable topic. So if you don't want to, I recommend skipping this section of the episode. I just want this to remain a safe place for us to come together each week and have conversations we're all prepared to have. If you can't do it this time, but you want to do it later, come back later. Exactly. But no pressure. Zero pressure. We're still friends. This is, I just, it's an important topic, but I never want anyone to feel forced into a conversation topic that they're not ready for or prepared for. So I just want that up front. If you feel like you need to turn it off now, that's perfectly okay. Also, after this, we'll probably all give all of our money to elephants. Probably. Which might be good. Might be a good thing. Probably. Yeah. Okay. So to start this out, we're going to give a little bit of a brief overview-ish of where animals started in the circus itself. (laughs) I am... I'm angry. (laughs) Um, So as a group... The human race has long been in the business of using animals as a means of entertainment, and it's putting it kindly that we haven't been the most benevolent of audiences. We've touched on this topic a bit before when we talked about Keiko the whale. Animals are captured regularly, moved to locations that can be wildly different from the environments that they're used to, and forced to live in conditions that are unquestionably cruel, all so that people can be entertained and money can be made. Starting as far back as the 18th century, animals were incorporated into the circus scene. The earliest recorded incorporation of animals in the circus is in the form of a traveling menagerie, which we kind of talked about before. But for those of us who don't know, a menagerie is a collection of captive animals, frequently exotic, kept for display, meaning that their lives were nearly entirely spent behind bars on a day-to-day basis. They had um, a menagerie at the Tower of London. For years and years and years. And there was like a bear with a manacle around his ankle mm-hmm. who just sat tied up. Like it, it was super common for wealthy people to own exotic animals Absolutely. that they had no business owning. Should never be owning these animals ever. Animal performances soon entered the fray with equestrian acts being documented as the first most likely inception of this. Elephants and large cats followed really closely behind. The thing is. I, they are super cool. They are. You're not so wrong cool. about that. No, you are not wrong about that at all. But maybe let's find a more ethical way of going to see them, maybe Just in their, their own environments and doing things that they're naturally doing. 
Um, the most frequent animals in circuses are, and I'm going to go through a bit, a bit of a list here, big cats. So big cats, when I say that, I mean lions, tigers, and leopards are the most common. Mm-hmm. They had camels. They had llamas. They obviously had elephants, zebras, horses, donkeys, birds such as parrots, doves, and cockatoos, sea lions, bears, monkeys, and then even some domestic animals like cats and dogs. Dogs that do cool tricks and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, there was a guy walking around the farmer's market with a macaw on his shoulder. I think that's really cool. <laughs> I think it might have had like a little anklet on or something so he could grab it. But, but it he, like, he could go fly around a little bit and I do mean, his thing. We brought Walter, so I guess it's fair. He was just sitting on his in his dad's shoulder, just Aww. looking around, having a good time. That's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> Ethical caring for your animals is a good, good thing. And that's, I am... Owning pets is a wildly different scenario than what is going to be happening here. Maybe I'll do that every now and then. I'll just interject with a cute animal I need story. That. Yes, let's <laughs> please God, let's do that. Do you We're going to need it. Do you remember the, um, there was an episode of I forget what it was about, but an episode of last podcast on the left that was so rough that every little while I they remember did that facts from home improvement. Yes. <laughs> I should have had you come prepared with that. so good. That would have been good. (laughs) And it's something when they say it's rough. It meant a lot. You know, it's like, oh, gee, thanks. Yeah, I'm going to need some cute animal stories every once in a while. (laughs) This is is what we're going to need in our lives. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is when they started. These are the kinds of animals that they've brought with them. We know there's problems, so we're going to talk about them. Problem... I'm going to talk about three main categories of problems here. First, ca- first category, a near constant state of transportation. Many circuses are traveling circuses. This means that permanent dedicated structures are not really an option. Right. And traveling thousands upon thousands of miles a year is not unheard of, but rather more likely the norm. Like the, the train that used to be on the graham cracker box? Yes. Where they just like cars train cars that look like cages with the giraffe sticking out the sticking top. out the top of it yeah and honestly so it's impossible for a traveling circus to really provide like you said adequate accommodations for not only all of the people that they have to bring and all of the items and structures that they have to bring but ginormous animals <laughs> Few people involved are probably enjoying the whole process, right. I would imagine. I'm assuming probably <laughs> Seems not. pretty grumpy for the whole deal. So circus animals have been carried across various countries in small traveling cages carried on the back of what are called lorries. These were nicknamed all throughout time as beast wagons. Oh, that's what they call a semi-truck in England is a lorry. Oh, okay. So that's what this is talking about is semi-trucks. More recently, obviously, before probably trains. Mm-hmm. Um, and animals can be stuck in these temporary cages for hours, sometimes even days. They will not be leaving this cage for a very, very long time. And when they do, when a break does actually come, it's simply a movement to a different exercise cage, quote unquote, um, which is not much bigger than the cages that they're being transported in. They may get breaks from their cages to do a scheduled training session or during a performance. So to go to work. So to go to work. Mm. Okay. So, and they can't, you can't explain, like a person who works in the circus knows why they keep moving. Right. But how do you explain that to an animal? You can't. Why, why we never stop. 
it's they have no idea what's happening to them. They just know their world has suddenly become wildly smaller. And there is. And we talked about this with Keiko, too. Brain function. You're not socializing anymore. You're stuck in this little cage. You're not roaming free doing the things that you're supposed to be doing as an animal. So your brain atrophies. Like when people are in solitary confinement and lose their eyesight. Yep. Like you're not, it's not what you're meant to be. No, not at all. Not, not at all. And it's got to be terrifying to have no idea what's happening. Yeah. And I mean, it's terrifying for a lot of other reasons, too, that we'll get into. That reminds me of a good funny animal oh, thing. Let's do it. There is a, a stand-up comedian on TikTok mm-hmm. who is saying how stressful it is to have a dog because mm-hmm. she's constantly looking up, like, can dogs go into the store? Right. And she goes up and down an elevator and she wonders if that's freaking her dog out. Oh, no. So she Googles, do dogs understand elevators? And it said, um, practically, but not mechanically. <laughs> <laughs> she was like... And that makes sense. That's fair. <laughs> Practically, not mechanically. But we do wonder sometimes, does he think that this is just a magic door? Does, does he, he recognize no we're going up and down? Can they feel it? <laughs> <laughs> the internet says yes. They can feel it. They just don't know how elevators work, but they do know what's happening. They're going up and They're down. They're going up and down. They're physically in the earth still. It's not like being um, transported molecularly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. oh my goodness. Do dogs understand elevators? elevators? <laughs> Kinda. The amount of time that you spend as a pet owner being like, can a dog eat this? Can a dog eat this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> can my cat eat this without puking it up later? Mm-hmm. No. no. Cats will always puke we'll it up always later. Always puke it up later. <laughs> Every goddamn time and on the carpet with without love. Fail. She doesn't. Mm. She's probably actually. I actually don't think she really. She doesn't really care when she pukes. I don't think that comes out of a place of just anger. But scratching the goddamn stairs. (laughs) She's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, love her though. Okay, so we've talked about the transportation in these small containers. Mm -hmm. Elephants. Let's talk about wild elephants for just a minute. They are large, they're very social, and they often move about in herds traveling between two and seven and a half miles a day. Oh. So a good amount of exercise. Circus life is far from this. Life is isolated, mostly lived in a cage, maybe, maybe a grass uh, enclosure. And that's if these elephants are very, very lucky. And that's only for like winter break. Right. That's not an everyday occurrence. They spend a bulk majority of their day chained by a front leg and a hind leg, standing on a wooden or metal board in a tent. The chains on their leg mean that they can only shuffle a pace or two backwards or forwards. Mm. An investigation into one circus found that their elephants could be chained up this way for as long as 11 hours. Oh my gosh. 11 hours. Chained with two, two feet that you can't use and you can barely move forward and backward. This ultimately means that an average circus elephant is barely able to move and unable to do simple things such as forage, bathe, travel, or socialize. This causes an incredible amount of stress, leading to unnatural behaviors such as rocking, swaying, and nodding. Because they're upset. They're wildly upset about it. Like, their their body feels in such turmoil and ruckus, and this is their way of 
in, in whatever small way that they can even move, let that out. Yeah. Horrendous. Mm-hmm. Horrendous. I kept some other statistics out just because I'm trying not to make this the biggest bum fest in the world. <laughs> Bummer fest? Biggest bummer fest. Bum fest is for a different episode. That is for a different episode. Um, Okay, we'll talk about large cats now. So large cats like lions and tigers are often found to be regularly housed just in their traveling cages for most of the time. Mm. Sometimes they're given access to those barely larger exercise cages. But these, these are predators. These are cats that fucking go. And, uh, and they do, they do like a large animal sleep a big chunk of the day. Sure. Sure. For sure. They but do. But when they're busy, they're busy, right? They need to go. They need the ability to go and do these things. So mm-hmm. these animals become like wildly agitated. They pace backwards and forwards and they just, and it's in this enclosure that they can barely like maybe turn around. In. Yeah. Horrendous. Horses have often been housed in tents with tiny stalls that separate them from the horses around them. Sometimes there are exercise exercise enclosures, but these were likely to be small as well. At least animals like horses get to do a job sometimes. Right. And I hope that because some animals do, I think, find a lot of value and happiness in, in working with people. Right. I hope that some of them do get some satisfaction. From, I hope that from they do. Feeling like they did a good job. Right. I hope it's that so that's hard. the case. For some, it's definitely not. But for some of these, I hope that that's true. Yeah. We've talked about traveling. Let's talk about their training. The training of circus animals has been a highly secretive practice. And seeing what's been found regarding training practices, it's really no surprise that this is the case. Mm. Anyone who's been to a circus and seen animal acts have no doubt seen the whips that the animal handlers carry with them. Yeah. These are pretty mild. This is Only the tip of a truly horrific iceberg. The use of screws hidden in the base of walking sticks, spikes concealed in tasseled sticks, and hot shots or electric shock devices have been documented to be used. In 2009, there were several videotaped instances of abuse towards elephants in the Great British Circus including hitting elephants in the face with a metal elephant hook, pitchforks or broomsticks, or twisting the elephants' tails. Which is wildly painful and uncomfortable for them. I'm going to read a quote from a PETA article that I found. I found a few in this topic, and I'm going to be reading quotes from a lot of them. So this is a quote from them. Physical punishment has always been the standard training method for animals in circuses. Animals are beaten, shocked, whipped to make them perform over and over again. Tricks that make no sense to them. The AWA, and I'll talk about who that is here in a little bit. It's a governing body does not prohibit the use of bull hooks, whips, electrical shock prods, or other devices used by circus trainers. Trainers drug some animals to make them manageable and surgically remove the teeth and claws from others. Horrendous. I've heard that um, that they would get elephants drunk. Yeah. Yeah, they would. Because they like alcohol. Mm -hmm. And it just made them more docile. Yeah. It's awful. More... Absolutely deplorable acts of cruelty have been documented in videotapes. Things so horrible that I'm not going to mention them here. I Reading these was part of the reason why I bawled so much. Mm. They are awful. The concept that I want to be taken away from this is that not only are these animals living in conditions entirely unsuitable for them, 
They are then being regularly tortured when learning to do ridiculous tricks that hurt them and make them wildly uncomfortable and scared. They're scared. I mean, we all saw Tiger King. Right. So we can all now picture what it's like for a person to get their self-worth. Right. Out of the amount of giant animals they can control. Mm-hmm. And, um... Like, there's not a character evaluation to work in a circus. You don't have to be a good person. Right. It's not like the horse whisperer. Right. It's sad. Yeah. And they don't, they're afraid. Of course. Of course. It's, it is awful. And there's fire. Yeah. There's so many things that are not natural. And loud Loud noises. Yeah. And lights flashing. I don't even like that shit. No. (laughs) Absolutely not. And I've grown up in an environment where that's not unheard of. So I'm prepared for it. And I, it can be explained to me rationally. Exactly. I just horrendous. Yeah. I'm going to read a quote from it's called it's from a website called freedomforanimals.org. I'm going to read a quote from them here really quick. So this is in regards to the performing aspect of animals and circuses. The animals and circuses are there purely for entertainment, and the routines have changed little since the 19th century. In circuses, the audience can still see beautiful majestic animals like elephants ridiculed by their trainers, or big cats reduced to cowardly-looking creatures by the cracking of a whip of the powerful lion tamer. Some circuses claim to be educational, but there is no educational value in seeing such magnificent animals reduced to performing tricks. The idea of publicly humiliating an animal to prove that man is capable of this kind of dominance is not fun. Children should be taught to respect animals. Circuses teach to teach the opposite. Yeah, that's just facts. That is just facts. I am not saying that every circus is bad. I am saying the fact that we use animals in this way, we use people in that way, awful. I'm going to say they are all a mixed bag. Sure. But this this part of the bag is some real shit. The idea um, that that they are so beautiful that you feel like the world deserves to see them. I get it. I get that. That's they are. Right. They are incredible. Yeah. And seeing them in real life is mind blowing. Oh, absolutely. Um, But I don't know why we have to see them stand up on a box and balance things and jump through things and right balance on a ball or stand up on your hind legs and walk on your hind legs or all all sorts of ridiculous things they were meant to be made ridiculous in a lot of these scenarios i'm gonna say things have gotten better now than they were before but this all of this is still not outlawed in a lot of ways I understand that a lot of people find it really easy to separate people from animals. And I get it. There's like a hierarchy mm-hmm. of things, right? right. Um, but a thing, a thing that's alive can be afraid. Right. Well, and elephants actually have a really high capacity for thinking. An intense capacity. And, and they're social and loyal and long-lived and yeah. empathetic. Absolutely. And then you make them a completely different animal when you take them and make them alone. Right. They don't even know who they are. Yeah. And they have no, uh, like, biological knowledge for that situation. Right. No inherited skills to deal with it. It's not in their genes to be that kind of an animal. Right. Horrendous. 
I've moved away from the almost making me want to cry part for a little bit. Okay. So we made it through. Let's talk about some things and steps that we're taking now, have been taken before, things that are helping to make this situation better. Oh, good. Because I think that's the important takeaway from all of this mm-hmm. is how can we make the situation better? Because I am not saying that circuses should be gone. I'm saying performing animals in circuses should be gone. Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying that the whole entertainment industry of this should be gone away. I think that Cirque du Soleil is wildly beautiful. Incredibly beautiful. And they are people who are capable of consenting to actions. Yes. And um, nobody gets hurt. Exactly. And if they do get hurt, it's not against their will. It's an accident. Right. You know, like. It's something that they were prepared for. And they're artists. Yes. They're not prisoners. Exactly. Okay. So first steps that have happened, some There have been some government bans, quote unquote bans for this. So there are nationwide bans on using some, if not all, animals and circuses um, in Austria, Belgium, Bolivia, Bosnia. I cannot say this one, so I'm skipping. Bulgaria, Colombia, Costa Rica, Croatia, Cyprus, Czech Republic. More and more. It's incredible. There's a lot of different places that have banned this practice. I think that's great. So Greece actually became the first European country to ban any animal from performing in any circus in its territory starting in February 2012. I'm such a fan of Greece. I for am a lot too, of reasons. for so many reasons. And Just add this to the list. Mm-hmm. Greece kicks some fucking ass. Yeah. Um, so Germany, Spain, the UK, Australia, Argentina, Chile, Brazil, Canada, and the United States have local sanctions against it. So it's not a nationwide ban, but they have a lot of areas in their countries that have incorporated bans. Okay. So for for example, the United States city ordinances banning performances by wild animals have been enacted in San Francisco in 2015, Los Angeles in 2017, and New York in 2017. Those are important places to do that. They are. Because they're massive performance cities. Absolutely. So it makes sense that that's where you start tackling those kinds of issues. Yeah. It perfectly makes sense. So now that this has started happening, we've got these government bans in place. We now see a rise in animal-free circuses, which I think is really incredible. And I'm glad that that's the trend that's starting to move forward. Public demand for cruelty-free circuses continues to grow. James Hammond Sr., a prominent producer of Shrine Circuses, has said, As we look to the future, we see all circuses moving to to non-animal productions. Over the last 20 years, both through strict regulation as well as changing public sentiment, performing animal acts have begun to be a thing of the past. And I think that's great. I think that's spot on. There are so many options of circus-style entertainment that does not exploit or harm people or animals. Yeah. I'm for finding these supporting these it's amazing and i think that's what we should work towards promoting absolutely so in one of the sources that i'm actually we're going to include in the show notes um it's a PETA source that i provided they actually provide you a list of animal free circuses that you can attend in your general area oh i love it which i think is really cool yeah so if you want to we don't hate circuses yeah please don't be mad at us it's not that we don't hate that give us all your elephant (laughs) right let us have those we'll take care of them (laughs) and then you can go support this in a better way you know i'm 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 obsessed with giant kitties and um in the bible it says that when jesus comes back the lion will lay down with the lamb Mm -hmm. and i cross my heart if my mom is right about jesus (laughs) i am getting so many cool animals 
who will be happy to live with me. Yes. And we will have a jungle backyard and we will probably have a treehouse with crazy bridges. Mm-hmm. And my whole life will be a giant cat tree with a with an elephant at the bottom who's like, hello, this is the greatest. I can't wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Jesus will likely let me down, but, <laughs> you know. It might not be the first time Jesus has let me down. <laughs> so I think I'm prepped for it. Think of the cats, Jesus. Think of the cats, Jesus. Oh, my God. Okay. So we've talked about maybe let's give the elephants to PETA and we'll go do... Our own animal-free, cruelty-free circuses. Yeah. Let's talk about exotic animal sanctuaries. Real ones. Real ones. Not, um, I don't know what we call them, con artist ones? Oh, yeah. So I'm, <laughs> what I'm going to tell you about here is kind of ways to identify the ones that are doing it correctly. I would love this information. Yes. Because there's one that we have been to a couple of times in Oregon. I don't even know what to Google to make sure well, it's a Well, and I'm going to tell you, if you went and actually were up close with the animals, if it was exotic animals, probably not a legitimate one. They were in great big um, enclosures. The only animals that you get up close with are the little babies they're fostering who don't have mommies and daddies. Okay. And then when they reach an age where they can't do it anymore, they don't get to be in, in the place where you can pet them. Okay. They have to go. I feel like that's away. a little bit more... It's um uh, I'll I'll probably link to it if we find out it's a good one because I, we've talked to a lot of the people there when yeah. we visited and like they'll be like this this little bear came home with me at night because he didn't have anybody and so he slept in my bed Aww. for three weeks until he was big enough to sleep alone and, and um they they have managed small groups they're allowed to and you can come up like one or two people at a time mm-hmm. and touch them only where it's appropriate. And you can't fuck around with them Mm -hmm. or like with the little cats, sometimes they'll have you sit down and then they'll like move the toy so the cat will walk over your lap. Oh, so you're part of it, but you're not part of it. You're not part of it. (laughs) (laughs) And they don't have mommies who will be upset about it later. Right. Which is why they're there. Because they right. don't have mommies. Exactly. So I hope that place is a good place. And after I figure out whether or not it is, I'll let you guys know about it because they have always been cool people and i'd like it to be real i hope so i want good things that's what i want okay so true animal sanctuaries are places where rescued animals can go to experience a higher level of care and living the goal for most is rehabilitation if they've been in abusive and really traumatic places and then provide a permanent home that is safe and healthy rare exceptions they try and get them back out into the wild if that is a possible scenario a lot of times, a majority of times, it's not. Like with Keiko, they did the best they could. It was kind of halvesies. Right. They tried. They tried. They did their best. And I th- and that's what happens with most of these is you do your best to get them to live a natural, full life. But for most of these animals, that's just not possible anymore. In the same way that if we sent Walter out to live with a pack of wolves, he would have no idea what he was doing. Oh, it would not work. And miss people. Yeah. An animal that's raised around people, even if they don't treat them well doesn't know how to live with other wild animals right so that's the thing you obviously they're scientists they've studied it they know the mm-hmm. best way to do it exactly but it, it can't work magically every time no absolutely not okay so the animals are given the opportunity to behave as natural as possible in a protected environment i think it's wonderful and i want you all to think this is not a zoo i am not talking to you about zoos in this moment okay If animal sanctuaries are doing it right, the goal is to limit as much as possible any human interaction. 
caretakers and veterinarians, groomers and trainers would likely be the only ones regularly accessing the animals. The goal is also to provide an environment conducive to the natural habitat of the animal being rescued. And I'm going to tell you this, there are four different types of animal sanctuaries with exotic animal sanctuaries being one distinct form. So there's um, companion animal sanctuaries, wildlife sanctuaries, exotic animal sanctuaries, and farm animal sanctuaries. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're all distinct. They all do different things, all have a different level of interaction with small groups of people. So I'm, I'm inclined to believe that the one that you went to is probably on the good end of the spectrum. Um, it's pretty small. They have a limited amount of employees. Mm-hmm. I would hope so. Yeah. I really do hope so. Um, Seth and I always say that when we have a bajillion dollars, which is never, um, <laughs> or we want to buy a, a ranch for all the doggies at the shelter to live oh, at. Oh, yeah. And then hire like an old cowboy to be the foreman of the ranch. Oh. So he can just like putter around and then we can go up and visit them and they can just have a pond. Yeah. And like places to run and play. And if they're a quiet dog, they can have a quiet dog place. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of dogs like, companion animals but if they're afraid of other dogs maybe we'll get them like a cow friend yeah or i know that horses often like goat friends yeah so we'll find them a friend that they can snuggle to when it's winter time and i think that's beautiful wouldn't that be great that's so much dog food but i'm 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 100 percent in oh 100 as soon as this <laughs> takes off and explodes we're gonna go buy one you go to the shelter one time and you think what's how can i how can i just pick one of you what's my part of this how can i help this right and here actually here's a really easy thing you can do you are allowed at any time to bring toys that are new or dog food or cat food or treats to your local animal shelter oh they need it all the time absolutely there are different times of year when they'll ask for more of it but literally any time if you're buying a a bag of dog food for your dog you can buy a second one and drop it off at the animal shelter i love that and then you're part of it you're helping you're helping Mm -hmm. i think that's beautiful and at our local animal shelter i assume it's common in other places you can go volunteer to take dogs for walks i need to be better about doing this because that has been something i've wanted to incorporate in my life the, we met a lady who volunteers doing it regularly when we adopted Walter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just comes a couple days a week and grabs a dog, takes him out for a 30-minute walk or whatever. Aww. Feeds a bunch of dogs treats. Yeah. And that's that's her part of it. That's how she helps. I think that's incredibly beautiful. It's really cool. I love that. And if she had fancy training, she could go visit an elephant place. But she has dog people training. So that's where she visits. So that's where she goes. There's a skill level for all of us. Absolutely. I don't think I'm at elephant level. But if you need one and you could call me, I would do that. I would learn. (laughs) I can definitely be trained. I would be the poop person for like a long time Mm -hmm. just to be able to hang out. Absolutely. Worth it. Call me. (sighs) Okay. So another thing to make sure of is animals living in these sanctuaries should never be bought, sold, or used for animal testing. If you see these acts occurring, this is not a true animal sanctuary in any way that the concept was intended. So you actually see that a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So another important part about animal sanctuaries is sanctuary accreditation. To be legitimate, you should be accredited. Mm-hmm. Two primary organizations that provide accreditation and support for animal sanctuaries are the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries and the American Sanctuary Association. 
Every Federation is part of Star Trek. Sorry. <laughs> it's true. Star Trek wins again. Yeah. Mm. In the United States, sanctuaries must also be licensed by the United States Department of Agriculture, so the USDA, and regularly inspected by the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Services for compliance with the Animal Welfare Act. And that was what I mentioned before, where certain forms of training tools were not banned by this group. Okay. So they have some work to do. They can be better. But this is at least a start. I'm going to read one more quote from a PETA article that I read. I, I really like this one. It says, above all, it's important to recognize that all living beings deserve a peaceful space without interference from gawking tourists. A true sanctuary places the needs and desires of its inhabitants over those of paying visitors and provides a lifetime of excellent care. Oh, I love that. I think that's important. <sighs> I should get the tissues ready. This is my favorite animal story. Yeah. It's sad, but it's so good. It's sad, but it's so endearing. Mm. I, okay, I'm going to tell you guys. I think most of us, but maybe not all, so I'm going to inform you if you don't know, the story of Shirley and Jenny, two just Shirley. incredibly adorable elephants. Oh, true love. True. Like, this is the truest form of love Ooh. right here. Okay, so Shirley and Jenny were performing elephants in the same circus. Jenny came into the circus from Asia as a baby, and Shirley took on the role of mother and friend, and the two were basically inseparable. <laughs> it was so cute. Eventually, the two are separated, though. In 2000, a PBS documentary, we jump 22 years later with a rescued Shirley being transported to the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee. When she arrives, Shirley finds that Jenny has been brought to the very same place. <laughs> it's, oh my god. I'm going to read a quote here. The sound of trumpets and rumbling echoed in the morning, <laughs> and the caretakers of the sanctuary, Carol and Scott, were surprised to see the touching and eye-opening reunion between Shirley and Jenny. <laughs> the two snuggle close to each other, and apparently in their desperate attempt to be closer to each other throughout the night... They have bent and deformed the steel bars that separated them. <laughs> they like for, squished their cage. For love. For love. <laughs> okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I am okay. Okay. Feeling for the two elephants, Scott pried the gate between them open so that Shirley could finally join Jenny. After Shirley's arrival... Elephants who had previously been companions and friends were now sisters and aunts in the mother and daughter relationship of Shirley and Jenny. And they gave the future, they gave the sanctuary its future, says Carol, one of the caretakers. When Jenny made it to the sanctuary, she was incredibly ill. She had been exposed to tuberculosis and she had an injury that had not been adequately attended to, leaving it exposed to infection. Jenny was the baby. Jenny was the baby. In 2006, Jenny passed away due to these complications. Carol, the caretaker, says that the bond between Shirley and Jenny was never more touching than in the last days of Jenny's life. And this is a quote. The day before she died, Jenny had been down and she wouldn't get up. Shirley stood by her and insisted that Jenny get up. Jenny just couldn't get up. Then Jenny stood up, but she had to lean on Shirley to keep up. 
If you look at Shirley's face, you can see that she knew that Jenny was dying. Jenny dropped to the ground and Shirley walked into the woods. Shirley stayed in the woods until Jenny passed. She didn't eat for two days. It was a very hard and especially hard time on Shirley. Shirley's whole life was about taking care of baby Jenny. It was like a mom losing her baby, says Carol. And one thing, I didn't write this, but I think it's really sweet. So there's a bunch of different elephants here in this sanctuary. Shirley has to walk into the woods. She can't handle it. But the other elephants, Jenny starts making some noises. And then all of a sudden, they all start trumpeting. Every single one of them. For an hour. For an hour. So she'd know she wasn't alone. She knew she wasn't alone. And she actually made it through the night. She passed away in the morning. She passes away. Fortunately, Shirley has some extended family members to lean on during these sad times. Shirley is very close with an elephant named Bunny. The two are like sisters. Stop it. I know. Bunny arrived to the sanctuary just two months after Shirley and they bonded instantly. And that's a sweet story of the good that sanctuaries do. <laughs> you know, there are just so many animals that are out in 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 the world, in the system of human ownership. And they they need a place to go. If we stopped doing it, if we stopped taking animals from their home environments right now, there would still be thousands of them all over the place. Right. Who needed a, somewhere to go and of people course. to care for them. Yeah. And so these sanctuaries are so essential so that they have a life. Have a good, healthy, happy life. And it doesn't mean that animals have to be a secret if they're not in circuses anymore. No. Like there there are a lot of options. There sure are. There's a lady on Instagram called Sharon Says So and she mostly does like teaches people about political things. Mm -hmm. She explains the news to you in a nice way. Um, Whenever it gets a little bit rough, she starts um, sharing (laughs) all the updates from these nest cams. Oh my God. And I'm, I think they're eagles that she's looking at, but she'll post about them and share like these eggs are hatching or they're, they're flying away for the first time. And I love that sort of intervention for us to watch because you can be part of that they're on 24 hours a day yeah and you can be part of their lives uh, but you can't touch them and they get to live in the way that they, and that they're also protected the cameras yeah. are there so that the um, forest rangers and forest service can check on them and see what's going on and make right. sure they're okay yeah so we're we're ensuring their continued survival yeah and we're enjoying them wherever they are all we need is more Wi-Fi. You that's know? all we need. And then we can be part of their lives. Yeah. And that's really, really beautiful. I think so, too. And still have access to them. And then we'll have many, many years left of animals that we need to save and care for. Mm-hmm. So they can have a good rest of their life. Absolutely. On a much smaller scale, I talk about this occasionally. People um, will give us a hard time because Walter's a little bit spoiled. We give him, no. we give him, he, he has a peanut butter toy that he, that he leaks. Well, he licks sometimes when he cries during podcasts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes twice. He, yeah. <laughs> and he, he gets fancy baths sometimes and he gets his teeth cleaned. <laughs> so you're being a good pet owner. Right. And some people think that, that, that maybe their pets, pets don't need to be treated like, like, like it'll make him naughty. Um, and Seth, when he said it out loud to me the first time, I was like, oh, duh. He's just like, we didn't buy him to get mad at him right we adopted walter so we could give him the best life and if that means he sits on the couch then 
that's that's cool that's, that's fine the, that's the best right exactly we want him to be happy and um if you if we want them to be happy and i think we all do then they deserve a safe place where they can live in peace and be who they want to be yeah. whatever they want to be and we can watch game cameras and and watch them be beautiful in yeah. their own space the way that we've observed elephants and the communities that they build with each other is so incredibly beautiful it really truly is it's an intensely caring society mm-hmm. of long-lived intelligent creatures yes and i think Let's just keep watching and keep hands off. Yeah. <sighs> okay, we did it. Are I'm you sorry. guys all? I'm sorry you had to do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I do this to myself sometimes. Uh, you know, it's a little bit tricky because those things. I'm so thirsty to see those animals. Right. I want to be where they are. And I, I, I shouldn't. <laughs> I shouldn't touch. <laughs> or if touch. you do, we save up enough money and we see them in their natural habitats. Right. Or, or somebody else with money can record it. And, yeah. And post it up for us all to enjoy here. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm with you. I want to, I want to touch so I feel so it so bad. much. I want to be in a snuggle puddle of giant tigers. Mm-hmm. But it's not a people place. No. And they they deserve to be happy and safe exactly so we'll send in some really cool tree climbing people Mm -hmm. post ups and cameras then we'll watch it all the time i think that sounds delightful can you get a video screensaver so like my desktop is just a tiger family i'm sure we mm. let's ask brian about brian would know we'll ask you brian Brian. i don't know if i can Mm -hmm. have that i hope he says yes sounds amazing (laughs) (laughs) it's a special world we live in it is a crazy incredible world that we live in. full of some amazing little things i love it some gross things Mm -hmm. some cool things and sometimes those get smashed together and we need to be uh better at that yeah (laughs) (laughs) well we made it we did it we did it (laughs) what a fun show what a fun show (laughs) (laughs) My friends, let's do this again sometime. Say hi to your mom for me. Bye.